The text that we want to focus on is from Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. And that is found in your pew Bible on page 956. Also, it will be uh, projected onto, onto the screen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east and from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him." When King Herod heard that he that he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's look to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to look into your word, to share around your word this day. We're grateful, Lord, for calling us to serve you and for this to be countercultural in this season of the year and all the seasons of the year, but particularly as we think of the Advent Conspiracy. Thank you, Lord God, for this special season of Advent. Through Christ we pray. Amen. As we look at this text this morning, we see that some men came from eastern lands, from the eastern lands, and they came to Jerusalem. Now, the scripture does not tell us how many men there were, but scholars assume that because there were three gifts, that there were probably three magi or three wise men. And these men were probably priests from the Zoroastrian religion that was practiced in what is now northern, present-day Iraq and Iran. And these priests, as part of their religion, 
studied the stars and they were familiar with the stars and in their understanding they understood that a star arose for each person. Each person had a special star and the way this star arose indicated to them that a king had been born. Now because these men were Gentiles and steeped in a different religion, they did not know the scriptures, they did not know in the Old Testament that the, that the king, that Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. Therefore, they made an assumption. They expected the king of a nation would be born in the capital city, certainly in a palace or in some well-to-do place in the city of Jerusalem. They assumed that, be bo- that the king would be born in a special place, such as a palace or the capital city. Richard Gardner says, The Magi represent the spiritual elite of the Gentile world, those who have taken, taken pagan wisdom as far as it can go. Now, when the ruler, King Herod, heard that there were men from a foreign country searching for a different kind of king, a different person other than himself, he became greatly worried and agitated. Herod and all the Jews, all the Jews in Jerusalem, the scripture says, Matthew reports, that all of them became agitated became concerned, even the the residents of Jerusalem. So Herod, this cruel dictator, this cruel tyrant, called in the Magi for a meeting with him. And they repeated to Herod the report that they had given earlier about the fact that they had seen the star rising, that they had seen that and therefore they knew a king had been born. And they wanted to know where to find this Jewish king. Now Herod faced rivals to his throne. So it is not surprising, is it, as he had faced the rivals, and he was very cruel as a, as a leader, that it was not surprising then that he would be threatened when he heard that another king was born. And the Magi then were told that the new baby king would be found in Bethlehem of Judea. And the Magi at that time discovered that they were on the wrong road that led to the wrong destination. They were looking for the Jewish king in the city of Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus was born, as we know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And after spending all these months, and I'll say more about that a bit later, but after spending all these months traveling to find this king, they now discovered that they were looking for the king in the wrong place, in the wrong city, that indeed he was not born in the capital city of Jerusalem, but he was born in this nondescript place Bethlehem. They needed to adjust their expectations. They needed, and instead of finding the king in the capital city, 
they needed to be aware that this king was found in the lowly place, the lowly town of Bethlehem. As we are learning, our culture is also on the wrong road at Christmas time. We spend $601 billion to celebrate Christmas each year, to celebrate the most joyous event of the year. And perhaps some of you saw the article in the Lancaster newspapers, the article that reported that uh, on Thanksgiving that this one man spent 18 hours in line that formed outside Best Buy so that he could snap up a 50-inch TV that was on sale at Best Buy at that particular time, and as I understand, I believe it was the first 50 people in line got a voucher for getting this this, uh, 50-inch TV for $199. The emphasis, the emphasis on, in our culture, the emphasis is on things. And if we just found the right thing, then we would be happy and the person who we give the gift to would also be happy. It's on things. And as believers, we know the correct answer. What, when we're asked the question, what do you worship? We know that the correct answer is Jesus, that we are not worshiping our things. We know that in our heads. But we too, we also get seduced into celebrating Christmas with things, into celebrating Christmas with the emphasis on finding the perfect gift for the person. Pastors McKinley, Say, and Holder say in their book entitled Advent Conspiracy, quote, season after season, many churchgoers have learned to say the right things without allowing their words to reach their hearts. Simply saying that Jesus is the desire of our hearts doesn't make it truthful. End of quote. Now, I think, as many of us are aware, in the in time past, Mennonites were known by their distinctive dress and attire and their simple lifestyle. But in the last 40, in the last 50 years, we as Mennonites have become very acculturated. And we have become also, as pointed out by the research, that we are a highly educated denomination in these days where we have sought and obtained college degrees for service, and certainly that was a worthy goal. But for many of us, we have also indiscriminatingly bought into, and the pun is intended, we have bought into the lifestyle and the patterns, the lifestyle and the patterns around us. We have bought into that indiscriminatingly. And like the wise men from the East, we have unwittingly found ourselves, we have found ourselves on the wrong road looking for Jesus. 
We are following the way of our culture and discovering that we indeed are on the wrong road, that we are seeking Jesus in the wrong places. We have thought and expected that gifts, we have thought that things would bring us satisfaction and that things would bring us with happiness. And the road of our culture is that if we just had more things or if we had the right things, if we have the latest technology, the latest gadgets, or the very latest smartphone, if we had all those things that indeed the latest things, then we would be happy. As we consider worship fully, we discover, going back to the wise men, we discover that the wise men sacrificed their time and their energy. They gave of their time and their energy to come to worship this new King Jesus. Now, these kings were from Persia. They were from Babylonia, the eastern lands. You know how far they had to travel to come to Jerusalem? Approximately 1,000 miles by camel. 1,000 miles, and according to my research, that would have taken them at least, at least several months to come from these eastern lands over to Israel. Can you imagine the dangers and the hardships that they faced? And even the the monotonous life of plodding along on a camel for 1,000 miles. Facing not only the dangers of the terrain, but also the possibility of robbers and bandits and persons who were out to, to destroy them. They also may have been been upset by the slow pace, or perhaps they even had, as they were going through the, the terrain, the desert, they may have discovered, well, perhaps we are not fine on the right road, on the right way. Perhaps we're not going the right direction. And they may have been tempted to just forsake the whole mission and give up and go back to their native lands. One may accuse them of being starry-eyed and not really in touch with the realities of the situation, that their focus was on, on the stars, and here they were setting off to find this king in the foreign land. The wise men, the wise men gave of themselves to worship. They give of themselves not only their time and energy, but they give of themselves to worship. They sacrifice to find and to worship Jesus. Worshiping fully, worshiping fully costs us something. To worship fully means that it takes something from us. It's sacrificial. There's a story back in 2 Samuel chapter 24 where King David, King David is commissioned or is instructed by the Lord to offer a burnt offering to God. And he was instructed by God to buy the threshing floor of Aaronah. 
And when Arana saw the king coming, King David coming, Arana decides to, to offer this floor as a sacrifice, or he decides to offer it to King David so that King David could use it to sacrifice. And not only the threshing floor, but he offers to give him the sledges and also the yokes for David to use in the offering. But it's interesting to see David's response. King David did not, he did not accept the gift and give this response to Arana in 2 Samuel 24, 24. He says, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. Fully worshiping means that we offer ourselves to God, that we give of our, our agenda, our time, and our energy, and including ourselves and our very lives, and I'll say a bit more about that later in my sermon. The wise men were summoned to meet with the ruthless tyrant Herod, and as they went to meet with him, certainly they had no certainty of, their, of how Herod would respond. The Magi had risked their lives in encountering the dangers on the trip and the thousand-mile trek to Jerusalem. Now they were risking their lives by meeting with the King Herod, and it was this same King Herod who ordered the slaughter of all the boy babies two years and under. So they had no guarantee that these magi, these foreigners, they had no guarantee that they would get out of their situation alive. And the magi, as of course, as we know, as we were very familiar with this portion of the, the Christmas story, the Magi also give their gifts, and in that way they worship Jesus. And these three gifts were highly valued in Middle Eastern culture at that time, and the gift of gold was worth about, at that time, was worth about what it is today. And these gifts express royalty and reverence for the king. The frankincense was valued at $50 per pound at that time, and the myrrh was valued at $4,000 per pound. They gave of themselves, they gave sacrificially of their gifts because they wanted to worship the Christ child. They were ready to worship sacrificially this king in a foreign land. And as they came to the house of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the star that they had seen appeared and stood over the place where Jesus was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy, or the New International Version puts it, they were, they, they were overfilled, or the great joy. 
This was a joy-filled moment and an encounter. And one of the reasons for the joy is that now they discovered they were reaching their destination. They were indeed on the correct road. It's also interesting to note that Matthew does not record any conversation that the Magi had with Mary and Joseph and and as as they came to worship Jesus. There's no conversation recorded. And then verse 12 says, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Therefore, we too, in this Advent conspiracy, we too are called to worship sacrificially and to walk another road at this time, to have the wondrous joy of the star-struck magi we're called to walk another road at Christmas time. We're called to walk the road where the kingdom of God is first. We're called to walk the road where the kingdom of God is first and even more value than our lives. As the Magi set out on their journey, there was no guarantee that they would arrive at their destination. And as they met with Herod, there was no guarantee that they would survive that encounter. They were ready to give up their very lives for the sake of worshiping Jesus. So I want to emphasize at this point a couple signposts, signposts that we are on this alternate route. The first signpost is that the kingdom of God is priority. It was Jesus who said, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. The kingdom of God takes precedence Over all human relationships, Jesus is saying, in fact, the kingdom of God takes precedence over life itself. Father Maximilian Kolbe was a prisoner at Auschwitz in 1941. And a prisoner escaped from the Auschwitz camp And in reprisal, the Nazis ordered that 10 prisoners there in Auschwitz needed to die by starvation. At that point, Father Colby offered to take the place of one of the condemned men. And the Nazis kept Colby then, as he offered to take the place, kept Colby on a starvation diet for two weeks and then put him to death by lethal injection on August 14, 1941. It was 30 years later, a survivor of Auschwitz stated, quote, to say that Father Colby died for us or for that person's family is too great a stipulation. His death 
was the salvation of thousands. We were stunned by his act, which became for us a mighty explosion of light in the dark camp, end of quote. It is God. It is God as we celebrate this time of Advent. God who calls each of us to shine brightly in the darkness around us. To follow the example of Father Maximilian Kolbe. Another sign on this road is love for enemies. Love of enemies. And certainly as part of human nature, as we respond to our human nature, the, we tend to retaliate. And even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament allowed a certain amount of retaliation in the eye for an eye principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There was certain limited uh, retaliation. And that's what human nature, or even unlimited retaliation, is human nature. Stephen Olford, in his book, The Grace of Giving, tells a story of a Baptist pastor who during the American Revolution, and this pastor's name was Peter Miller, and he lived here in Lancaster County in, in Ephrata. And he, Pastor Miller, enjoyed a friendship with George Washington. And Michael Whitman also lived in Ephrata. And he was, Michael Whitman was an evil-minded man who did all that he could to oppose and humiliate Peter, the Baptist pastor. And one day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and he was sentenced to die. So Pastor Miller then walked the 70 miles to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. No, Peter, George Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the old preacher, he's the bitterest enemy I have. What, cried Washington, you walk 70 miles to save the life of your enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. The priests of the Zoroastrian religion, as they bravely faced the dangers of their journey, as they risked their lives to meet with King Herod, and as they give the marvelous gifts, the wonderful gifts to Jesus, have shown us, have shown us what it means to worship fully. May we respond at this time, may we respond by worshiping fully the Christ child and by lighting the candle in the darkness. As our theme song says, Carry your candle and run to the darkness. Seek out the helpless, confused, and torn. And hold out your candle for all to see it. Take your candle. Go light.
your world. Take your candle. Go light your world. Amen.